Welcome to the Apostles Houston podcast, and thanks for listening. As a community following Jesus in Houston, we want to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do the kinds of things Jesus did. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we invite you to join us for worship each Sunday at 10 a.m. in Houston Heights. For more information, visit us online at ApostlesHouston.org. Good morning. Maybe, I, maybe I'll pray as well, Eric. That's all right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask you that the words of my mouth, the meditation of all our hearts, might be open to your word this day. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, what a joy and a blessing, um, and particularly an honor um, it is to be here with you this morning. I kind of think most of you have a clue, uh, some idea who I am, but just to be clear, um, I'm Craig Barrett. Um, my wife, Nancy, is here as well. Um, and we have <clears throat> returned to the diocese um, to serve with a longtime friend of mine, Bishop Clark Lowenfield, who um, asked me to come and serve as the uh, canon for parish development in our diocese. Now, the leadership and the council and the bishop um, have asked me to be this interim rector. And so we begin today uh, this new ministry And we visited several times. This is not our first visit. We were here last Sunday, actually. And uh, we've actually really enjoyed our time being here. You you all um, have been what I describe as incredibly warm, loving, and welcoming. And when we uh, we were asked to uh, prayerfully consider take this ministry, our immediate response was absolutely. But we did stop and pray. Before, Before I gave that answer, we did pray. Um, But our answer is still the same. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we look forward to this special season of ministry together with you all. We came to the diocese um, after I served as the rector of a parish in South Carolina. I know you have some PTSD about South Carolina, but but I am a Texan uh, by birth, so that's... And we served there for 29 years. We have three grown children. Uh, They're all married. We have six grandchildren. Um, Our oldest lives in Dallas. Our second lives in still in South Carolina. And our uh, daughter with our youngest grandchild lives in uh, Ohio. This week I thought about a lot about this really first Sunday um, at church. And I thought back 29 years ago to the first Sunday at the church where we served there. It was the annual parish meeting was the first Sunday. To this day, I ask, who does that? Well, this morning's my first Sunday with you all as the interim rector, and it's Stewardship Sunday. (laughs) Who does that? It was decided long before we uh, came, um, and the scripture readings are those that are actually appointed for this Sunday in the church's calendar and in the lectionary. Those are the appointed lessons. Uh, nobody magically pickled them out of a hat. I didn't uh, choose them. Um, they're the ones that, that are chosen, so that's what we get today. Uh, stewardship. Stewardship. I grew up in the church. My family was very committed and active, but when it came to money and giving, my parents said and taught very little. And though this isn't my topic for this morning, I would want to encourage you as I see all those children uh, going out, do as I say, not as my parents did, okay? Or as we've tried to do in our family. 
Here's a reminder about a lot of stuff, right? Your children will learn about money. They will learn it. The question is from who? The world? From ads? Their friends? The internet? Or will they learn what the Lord says about it from you? For me, my father would give me a dollar as the offering plate would come down. Derek, we sat on the second row right there. And every Sunday, second row, we're there. And the plate would come by, my father would pull out, he'd give me a dollar. And for many more years than I want to admit, giving a dollar that someone else gave me was the limit of my understanding of stewardship. I did learn something about sacrificial giving. We had a tradition during the season of Lent uh, where they have a mite box. You might be familiar with those where particularly children are given a little box where they can take money that they would have chosen to use for perhaps buying candy that they gave up for Lent um, and put that money in their boxes. Helped support missionary work across the globe. But here again, it was most often the change that my mother would give me at the grocery store where instead of buying the candy, I would then put the money in the box. Honestly, I learned more about self-denial in those years than I did anything about stewardship and virtually nothing about sacrificial giving. So just to be clear, what I learned as an active young Christian growing up in the church was you don't talk about money, what you give is somebody else's, and it really doesn't matter. (laughs) It would be many years later that I would learn about true stewardship and about sacrificial giving. I know you all probably know, but just humor me to let me tell you that uh, Jesus talks more about money than anything else except the kingdom of God. One-third of his parables and one-sixth of his recorded words are about money. You see, stewardship is a kingdom principle. And really, money, giving, stewardship is a spiritual decision. It's a spiritual decision. So often we think about it in financial terms, right? But it's truly a spiritual issue. And I hope you'll see the truth of that um, this morning When we talk about stewardship, the most important thing to know is that it is this spiritual matter. And at a time like this, we can often get confused and see it as a fundraising effort. In my parish, they laugh at me because even with a capital campaign, I vehemently refuse to have a thermometer up in the middle of the altar to show where we were with our giving. Totally false motives for giving. But let's be honest, there is a budget. There are bills and salaries which we definitely want to fund for the next year, but that's not what biblical stewardship is all about. Scriptures say that our decisions about money and our possessions are spiritual decisions and that they affect our relationship with God for good or for ill. Now, it's not lost on me that we find ourselves this morning in a pretty unique place. Just over the past several weeks, lots of things have happened in the life of the parish. And we're entering into a season of transition. There's much ahead that honestly at this point is unknown. But God continues to be faithful in his love and his care for us. And I know he will in the future. 
I really smiled uh, when I discovered that the psalm appointed for this morning was Psalm 90. We've sung them and we've heard them and uh, I just want to repeat them. Lord, you've been our refuge from one generation to another. The text for one of my favorite hymns is drawn from this psalm. Oh God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come. I believe that's true for us this morning as we launch into this new season. So let's dive into the scripture this morning. We're in uh, Matthew's gospel. We're in the 25th chapter of his gospel. And as we approach the end of the church's year, one of the things that we discover in these lessons, I, I, I presume, especially with that Thessalonians lesson, you really got a glimpse of what the, what the church is pointing us to in the appointed lessons. We're focusing on end time, the end time. Back in chapter 24, Jesus tells us the destruction of the temple is coming, and he says what signs of the close of the age will be leading up And he gives a vivid description of the coming of the Son of Man, Jesus, in return. But he gives this caution to us as we're awaiting that. He says in chapter 24 and verse 36, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. And then again in chapter 25, at the conclusion of the parable of the wise and foolish virgins, which was just prior to our reading this morning, he emphasizes it once again. He says, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. So in these parables, what we have is a guidance and a direction for our waiting and watching for Jesus' return. The season, big picture season, that we all live in right now. And these parables all begin with a a picture of what life in the kingdom, what kingdom living looks like. He says, the king of heaven will be like. And then he says in this morning's, for it will be like. The it is going to be heaven is his description. And what does it look like? And we all know that heaven is where the king reigns from on high but we sometimes might lose sight of the fact that the kingdom is here now, where we live. So this kingdom principle applies to us today. It's not just, oh yeah, it'll be there. No, no, it's it's coming here. And these parables will show a, a, a frightening at times contrast between living under the reign and the rule of the king and of not living under the rule and the reign. And of course, we pray regularly, right, for his will to be done and his kingdom to fully come here on earth as it fully is in heaven. Now, this parable, the parable of the talents, it's um, very familiar, I suspect, to all of us. I found myself thinking about it a lot, and my prayer is that we might come away this morning with a fresh awareness of God's overwhelming graciousness. And, 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 a, and a sort of a, a teaser highlight of what I really want us to think about, I want us to think about God, the Father, in this parable. Because I think we think about something other than that when we read these parables. We think about his graciousness, his love, his generosity to us. And I pray we'll get a fresh word from him as well. Maybe, maybe something new or a, a new insight which we might find. 
So we get in verse 14 of chapter 25 where Matthew writes, where it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. Again, for it will be like, it of course is the kingdom. And right at the start we're reminded God is the owner and giver of all that we have. Everything. Everything. And in this parable, he's entrusted his property to the servants. But it's his. It's his. All of it. But he's entrusted it to us. But will you agree with me how easily and quickly we can believe it's all ours? It's all mine? A very close and dear friend of mine, a priest, shared an illustration several years ago that I think captures it so well, um, I have stolen it from him and used it all the time. So that's where it comes from this morning. So, so imagine with me, if you will, that you take your child or your grandchild out for lunch at a fast food restaurant. You buy them the usual hamburger, fries, a drink, okay, maybe water or uh, lemonade. You just get a glass of water. And in the middle of the meal, you, you know, you reach over and you, you take one of the french fries. What happens? Well, depending on your relationship with your child, you get a dirty look, maybe a smack on the hand, but at the very least, don't you get a, hey, those are mine. Now, here, here's what runs through your mind while that's all taking place. One, I provided them with all of these fries. Even though you're the one that's enjoying them, I paid for them. I'm the source. And I'm the source as to whether or not you get any ever. (laughs) And that means I can take them away at any time I want to. I can see that you never get any. Or if I choose, I can buy you, I can buy my own french fries. I don't need your french fries. You see the point, right? Our Heavenly Father owns it all. He is the source, the provider of everything we have. We are not the owners of what we have been given. He is the owner. So not only does everything we have belong to the Lord, He's entrusted His possessions with us and calls us to be good stewards to care for and he cares what we do with what he's given us as we await his return he fully expects that we'll use what he's given for the spread of the kingdom for the care of his people for the proclamation of the gospel now it's here i think sometimes for us when we get to this point of the parable because of its familiarity Sometimes, just the mention, maybe when, when Eric stood up to read it, you heard it and you thought, and your mind just went right to the end. You knew, you knew the parable and your mind just ran a tape, is what we sometimes say. And it plays like a tape. Well, I want to I encourage you maybe to slow it down and, and just remind you of the pieces of it. A wealthy master went on a journey, but before he, entrusted to his, and before he left, he entrusted his property, property to his servants. Five talents, two talents, one talents. Then he left. First two guys double it, third guy hit it, and what he was given was taken away and given to the first, and he was cast into the darkness. End of story. But let's stop that tape for just a second instead of zooming past it so quickly, and let's think about it. 
We have a man, Matthew says, who's obviously wealthy. And he goes on a journey, and he entrusts his wealth to his servants. And yes, just for the record, it is money. Money. And see, here's a good place to stop our tape as, we, as it's entirely possible that we've adopted a more contemporary meaning and understanding of the word talent as an ability or a gift, something non-monetary, also given by God, which, of course, we are to use for God's glory as well. But those abilities and God-given attributes are definitely, definitely something God has given us to serve in this kingdom as we await. But to reduce or minimize or eliminate the principle of the meaning of a talent, a unit of financial measurement, causes us to miss the heart of the parable. It's about money. It's about money. A friend of mine uh, talking about stewardship says a lot of times people will come to him and say, yeah, that stewardship, all you ever want to talk about is money. What about time and talent? And he points out that any time that he goes to a congregation to visit, to preach, or talk about stewardship, and he talks only about time and talent, no one asks him why he didn't speak about money. (laughs) A talent is a vast sum of money, and it's generously distributed to the servants, though in different amounts. The master, think about this for a second, the master already possesses the gifts of talents, is inviting his servants to share in his joy. He's opening up his storehouse and saying, come, let's partner together, share in my joy. Though we do note, he gives no instructions or directions as to what they're to do with what he's given them. So the parable continues and our tape continues to run. The first two double their money, but the third, afraid of the harshness of the master has protected and guarded what the master gave him. And now each gives back to the master what he has. The master is pleased with the first two and gets pretty angry at the third one. So angry he takes it away, gives it to the guy with ten, and throws the worthless servant outside into the darkness. Now maybe, maybe there's something that tugs at us at this point as we stop and just kind of think about that whole scene that doesn't feel right. But it's so familiar, isn't it? It does line up with American entrepreneurialism, doesn't it? The work ethic that we all have been raised under. There's a somewhat familiar ring. The rich get richer. It's so familiar that Michael Budd, a political scientist and Roman Catholic scholar at DePaul, he worries this passage, if left alone, quote, sounds like orientation day on Wall Street, Invest and you'll be rewarded. Save without interest and you'll be trashed. Economics 101 applied to church finances. What a perfect fit. And I fear that's what we sometimes, maybe even often, take away from this parable. We now turn off the tape and get on with the work of doubling our money and shrewdly investing, thinking that now everything will be great. But it's when we slow down the tape and give careful thought. Maybe we'll hear the words of Jesus. How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom? Or when he told the, rule, the wealthy ruler, sell everything and follow me. Or his praise for the widow who out of her poverty gave all that she had. In the Sermon on the Plain in Luke's Gospel, Jesus said, blessed are the poor. 
No, when we slow down the tape, or perhaps it's more accurate to say when we take a deeper look, something doesn't add up. I wonder if it's perhaps because our focus tends to be on the three servants and we think about them. Let's consider the Lord and maybe look from the master's perspective just a second. This master owns everything and he gives it freely. He gives it freely. No instructions. Lots of risk for the servants, I get that, but we're looking at the Lord who's given it freely. The servants own and have nothing. They are totally dependent on his graciousness, on his giving. And this master gives extravagantly, and he gives with no strings attached. And he gives so much. He gives so much. As I've suggested already, it's, it's money. But the amount of money is staggering. I'm not sure we can totally grasp it. There's an author who wrote uh, about it who gives us a picture. And he says he recounted at the time in Afghanistan when the U.S. was putting out a bounty to get Osama bin Laden. And they offered $25 million for anyone who would lead them to Osama bin Laden. So someone asked them, well, what would you do with, with that much money? What would you do? One said, well, I'd buy a new horse cart. Another said, I'd buy food for the next year. You see, they simply had no category to comprehend how much money $25 million was. We have little ability to comprehend all that God is giving to us, how much he has given to us, how much we've been given and we have no category to comprehend it. There's another aspect of Matthew's, uh, the master's extravagance that we discover as we slow down a little bit. If you look at verse 19, it says, Now after a long time, the master of those servants came back and settled accounts to them. Did you hear it? I tried to read it fast so you might not pick up exactly what it was I was aiming at. Let me read a little bit slower. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came back and settled accounts with them. After a long time, a long time. Yet here another is the gift, the gift of time. A long time. Allowing the servants to live faithfully with this superabundance. The master entrusts his wealth to his servants. Not only does he trust them with his wealth, he does so over a long period of time. You see, that they're already participating in an incomplete fashion for the fullness of the life with their master. They often say that here is just our preparation for eternity, that we're practicing, and he's given us the time to try to get it right. I find it such an important truth that often gets overlooked or missed or worse yet promoted from this parable. We're not working to earn our place in God's kingdom. You know, if you don't double your uh, rewards, then, then your entrance into heaven is totally questionable. No, it's the, it's the flip side of that. Because you're in relationship, he's giving you everything. He's inviting us to be a part of his kingdom here and now. And he lavishly pours out this amazing grace that we sang about earlier. He's given us eternal life, the promise of eternal life. And through death and resurrection of his son Jesus, we know 
where eternity is going to be spent. And so he wants us to make the most of the opportunity that we have here. And in the extended time, it's a chance for us to share the good news with those who do not know it, have not received it, maybe have been given it, but dug a pit, buried it, and have hidden it. We have an invitation to share the grace that God has given us with a world that desperately needs it. The parable does remind us this long time will come to an end, though. It does come to an end. Remember, this is a parable of the end time. It's why we're supposed to make the most of this time. We're supposed to share the incredible value of God's grace that we've received with those who don't know him. For there will come a time there will come a time that we don't know when that is, when the judge will come to judge the earth. And there will be those who enter fully into the joy of their master and others who won't. You see, when we invest our lives in kingdom business, our reward is the joy of the Lord, the joy in his presence. He says to those first two servants, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of of your master. I went fast again to see if you guys picked up something there. When I slow it down, something leaps off the page, I think. His master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. Haven't I just spent a lot of time telling you how much, how gracious, how overwhelming it is? And yet, the master says, you've been faithful over a little. Does that open your eyes to see how much more the Lord has for each of us. It's mind-blowing. You've been faithful over little. I will set you over much. I've been given so very much, as I suspect so have you. So much more than I can even comprehend. And he refers to it as a little. You see, all that we have been given, all that we have now is preparations for future blessing and responsibility. And don't miss this point. It's a share in the master's happiness. So in this season that we launch together, that we begin together, a season um, of unknown, we know that God is faithful. We know that he's been faithful in the past and he gives us hope for the future. We know that he's given abundantly to all of us to live in this season of waiting for his return as we live the day-to-day -to -day together. And stewardship is a spiritual issue. It's a spiritual issue. Everything we have comes from God. He's the giver, and he's entrusted us with it. And through his extravagant giving, he invites us to participate in kingdom ministry here and now. So how will we respond? Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we are overwhelmed this morning by how much you love us, and how much you have graciously lavished on us so much more than we need or deserve and that you've given us to build up your kingdom. And I pray that on this day as we consider this issue of stewardship, of our own giving, of our own participating in the work that you've called us to here in this place, in this season, that you'd open our eyes, our hearts, and our minds to what you've called us to this day. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Thanks again for listening. We hope this resource has been helpful to you. If you have questions or are just looking for more information, you can check out our website at apostleshouston.org.